Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today, our guest is Jim Hassett, the founder of Legal Biz Dev. Legal Biz Dev helps law firms increase client satisfaction and profitability by improving project management and business development. Prior to working with lawyers, Jim spent 20 years as a sales trainer and consultant. He's the author of 13 books, has published 80 articles, and speaks at law firms and bar associations. Jim has a PhD in psychology from Harvard. Jim, I've given our listeners some insight into your role and background. Can you expand on what I've said and give us a glimpse into your work at Legal Biz Dev? Sure. I've been in business for 30 years in training about 10 years ago. My lawyer said, you know, who really needs the sales training stuff that you do is lawyers. These days, probably 10% of our revenues come from that. And the other 90% come from legal project management, which we see as the hottest trend area in business development. And we'll get into that in detail as we talk. Great to hear more about your business and definitely want to hear more about legal project management. And that is really our first question. You wrote an article recently for Bloomberg's Corporate Counsel Weekly, and it stated that legal project management can help lawyers address many of the issues that come up in client satisfaction interviews. The one that was really highlighted was that legal project management can assist with better communications. Can you expand on that? I'd like to understand the connection between legal project management and communication with clients. It is relatively new to law firms. When we say legal project management, we're not talking about something that you'd see in Microsoft Project with a lot of spreadsheets and schedules and charts. We're really talking about how to change the way that lawyers interact with clients to provide greater value. When we started doing this was very much in response to the Association of Corporate Counsel's Value Challenge a couple of years ago, where they were talking about you know the things that people need to do. And one of the things that clients ask for is improved communication about how things are developing. Alden Weil, which is a strategic partner of ours, does a survey every year called the Chief Legal Officer Survey. And they ask a variety of questions about what large clients want from their firms. And one of the questions they ask is essentially, what do you want more of? Law departments, clients have wanted more cost reduction, forecasting, and more efficient project management. Well, really, all three of those are part of LPM as as we define it. So we think that what clients really want these days is LPM, LPM, and more LPM. Because you've got business people on the other side, and they're looking for a better understanding of what they're paying for legal services. There's a big connection there. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And it's true even if there aren't people trained in business on the other side. You know, in the past, many legal rainmakers have had enormous success by having good relationships with people they went to law school with. They work together more and more. And as long as they keep meeting their needs, life is good and everybody's happy. But what's happening these days is the people who are sitting in the general counsel's chair are being pressed by their management to get greater value, to shop around uh, for lower price. And the result of that is that the relationships that people have depended upon all this time uh, really mean less. It's more a question of what have you done for me lately? 
No, I absolutely agree. That is the reason we started Left Foot. We see a need to talk with lawyers about business development in a different way, not just relationship building, relationship building plus and networking plus paying attention to the business side of this relationship that factors have to be straight out so that general counsel and the business leaders they support can actually feel comfortable with the decisions they're making about their legal spend. You wrote a reference guide. The second edition is out, the Legal Business Development Quick Reference Guide. And there's a lot of great information in that guide from what I've read of it. In that guide, you state that lawyers can achieve significant marketing progress in as little as one hour a week, as long as they focus on current clients and referral sources. Could you expand on that one hour? And then if you would comment on why that work would be very different than looking for new clients. For lawyers, one of the challenges that lawyers face in developing new business is just finding the time for it. Once we started working with lawyers, the very notion of busy kind of became redefined. So you have people who are already working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, and now you're saying to them, okay, you need to do this other thing. The question is, well, what's the absolute minimum and how do you spend that time? The one hour a week, that's not what we recommend. We say, you've got to at least do this. Think of something you can do for free for your referral source, if uh, you're a litigator, for one of your clients, and just do it. That is a understanding that our listeners need. You can absolutely touch business development for an hour a week and, and get some results. But if you're looking for new clients, it takes a different amount of effort. It absolutely does. We say then it's a three to five hours per week minimum or don't bother. Protect the clients you already have. That's who's paying the rent. Particularly in the current environment, you may be a little overconfident about that relationship from law school that I mentioned a while ago, whether it's really going to be enough to carry you forward. If the time comes when you need to find new clients, it is hard work and it's going to take a long time. What would you do if you were looking for a new lawyer? You wouldn't go to the yellow pages and look somebody up and hire them five minutes later, particularly if you were a corporate general counsel. So you've got to be ready for the fact that it's going to take a fair amount of time. It starts with making a real commitment. If you're not willing to put in two to five hours per week for an absolute minimum of six months, don't even bother getting started. It's going to take time. The first of 10 steps that you have in your book talks about the need to prioritize relentlessly. Can you elaborate on that? The definition is not what I assumed it would be when I read it. If you could expand on that, that would be helpful. One of the many challenges of business development, the biggest one, lawyers don't have enough time. The second biggest one, there's about a million things you can do to develop new business. So if you've got an hour a week or even three to five hours a week, which ones should you do? We say ignore good ideas. You're too busy for good ideas. Don't do anything until you're sure that your current clients are nailed down. I'm sure that you have talked to consultants and say, well, you got to get out there and go to a lot of networking meetings. Well, maybe you do and maybe you don't. Going to a networking meeting, you got to prepare for it. You got to drive there. You got to spend time. You got to drive back. Got to follow up afterwards. That's a lot of time. Is that really the best way to spend those four or five hours? For some people, absolutely yes. For other people, no. So you really have to take a very, very hard look at each and everything that you might be doing and think how long it's going to take and how likely is it to pay off and do the things that are most likely to pay off. Jim, that's a great piece of advice. And it's something as I've interviewed guests on Left Foot from all different stages of their careers, middle of the millennial group, they talk about networking in smaller groups. They have a group of six to eight people 
work friends. Most are not other lawyers, and they've gotten to know those people well, and they meet regularly to talk about business. They recommend each other to others. Very interesting and different way of getting out there and networking and doing something that to them has value because they get support from that group. Plus, at times, they get business and they now have the connections of the people that they're networking with. For some people, that's exactly the right thing to do. For others, it's really not. You write about the importance of listening as a career salesperson, sales leader. That is something that we talk about a lot. You have to listen to the client, ensure that the client is conveying what their business problem is and what their objectives are. That said, in your writing, you talk about the fact that lawyers as a group, and we're classifying here, but as a group are are not known to be the best listeners. So my question to you is, have you heard lawyers admit that that is not one of their better skills? When you go to a sales meeting, whoever does the most talking is the one who thinks it was a good meeting. That explains why so many lawyers think that they had good sales meetings and then they come back and they never get the business. It's because they did all the talking about the things that they wanted to get across about their skills and they didn't spend enough time asking questions. And it's really not that hard intellectually. One example is to just use more probes. When a client says something to you, instead of saying, oh, I get it and moving on, say, well, can you tell me more about this? Or can you give me an example? Don't assume, clarify. And I always talk about those natural places to ask the follow-up questions. I have to wait till after the board meeting. That is the exact right time to say, when is the board meeting? Not call back and say, hey, by the way, when is that board meeting? The advance. You talk about the advance in your book. I had Mark Morea on Left Foot, Rainmaking Made Simple, talked about the advance. For our listeners who may not be familiar with that concept, if you would elaborate on the advance and in your opinion, what you feel an appropriate advance is from one interaction with a client to the next. Mark and I picked up that concept from the same sort, which is Neil Rackham, who wrote a book, Spin Selling. You never leave a meeting without something, whether it's commitment to another meeting, another person you should talk to. You've got to get some kind of commitment. Now, what should that commitment be? That's the $64,000 question. What advance should I try for? And actually, the sophisticated ones go in there with a notion of two advances. Uh, One is what I really want, What's the biggest thing I could achieve? And then what's my fallback? Maybe the fallback is you might be looking for something like who's the decision maker. You always want to go in with a very clear idea of what you want. And if you consistently don't get what you want, go after somebody else. It's all about getting more behavioral. It is specific and it solves the biggest problem that a lot of lawyers have, which is if you go into every meeting thinking it's a success if I walk out of there with business and it's a failure if I don't, you're going to get awfully discouraged. Most of the time, you're not going to walk out with new business. It just takes time. Jim, I appreciate that statement. It's more advanced than what many professional salespeople say, I'm there to get the next meeting. Well, that's great because what you've just secured is the next meeting. You haven't advanced your sale. You're looking for a next step, but that step should have value. Exactly. And then obviously there's times when getting another meeting is more value and the times when it's not and you're going to have to decide for yourself. The words that Rackham uses are a specific action taken by either party that moves the sale forward. 
We talked about this a little bit in the beginning. I think it's important that we encourage those folks that are listening that business development is something they can do. One of my favorite mantras I use all the time is selling's a skill set, not a personality trait, and that it can be learned. Many of our listeners are starting their business development journey or they're not rainmakers and they really are looking for a source of information so that they can improve because they know bringing in business will help them have better control over their careers. Your thoughts on the fact that it can be learned. We have to personalize our approach so it's comfortable. But what would be your thoughts on that statement and how someone can start this process? Yes, it's skill set. There are some limits. I don't think selling is for everybody, but I also don't think that the traditional stereotypes of good salespeople are accurate. There's a myth that a good salesperson can sell anything. Gallo found that is absolutely not true. What does make a good salesperson? They figure out what their personal strengths are. What are are they good at? What do they enjoy? What do they succeed at? And then how can I use that to develop new business? One of the very first people that I coached years ago when we started working with lawyers, when I first talked to him, I thought, wow, this is going to be interesting. I mean, he was a person who was the complete opposite of the stereotype, what you would think a salesperson would be. He was very introverted. So in this case, this particular lawyer was assigned to me. And at first I, I wondered why. I mean, he just didn't fit my notion of what a person should be like if they're selling. He was completely introverted, didn't seem anxious to get involved in business development. But I gradually learned over time that the reason the managing partner had assigned him to this program was because his clients absolutely loved this guy. And the reason that they loved him was because if he said he would do something, he did it. Did it fast and he did it well. He was completely trustworthy, completely reliable, the kind of person you could hand your wallet to and he would hand it back a year later with exactly the same amount of money in it. And so what he had to do was learn how to take that personal strength and use it in his business development. Many law firms are incorrect uh, from a business point of view in the way they set up their compensation systems because they base their notion on the idea that every partner should bring in new business. Uh, you don't see that in any other kind of a business. In any other kind of a business, you see the idea that some people are just better at this than others. I've worked with actuaries, many of our team members who absolutely felt uncomfortable with the notion of business development and the action of it. They were just not comfortable. We gave them other things they could do that helped the organization as a whole. That said, Jim, today with social media and with the opportunity to be out and communicating more regularly about what you do, create content, distribute that content, there is an opportunity for those that are not comfortable with networking, not predisposed to be out and even working within the relationships they have to develop business. I think this ties with this whole value question. What are your thoughts about this change from having the relationship? And the relationship trumped the price and in many cases trumped even what a firm could do for a client because the relationship was so strong. Whereas in today's world, you know, post 2008, post more competition in the legal environment, in the legal services environment, where do you see this value component fitting in the difference between the value and the relationship? It is much more important now than the relationship. We believe in the importance of value. We believe in kind of the same ways of developing value. It's the link between the perceived value and the price where our views differ. Client may think this is worth $100,000 to me, but if somebody else offers him the same thing for $50,000, he's not going to pay that full value because he doesn't have to. 
in that kind of competitive environment, you're going to have to bid whatever it takes to win the business, or you have to get smarter about knowing when to walk away. My thought is on the fixed fee pricing and on quote unquote value pricing, you need the client to want your services and have agreed that you are the best provider to assist them with their issue, solve their problem, make their business improvement. Once you get the client to yes, I think establishing a fixed price value price, you have a lot more play. They've already made that turn where they want to work with you. To your point, in a competitive situation, you're going to struggle, especially if they you haven't defined yourself enough where they actually have said, hey, we want to work with you and your firm. There are two buyers in the legal marketplace right now. There's a pretty large group that's just going to get the lowest price they can. And firms that have lawyers who are not busy enough, the analogy that I hear all the time is, well, it's like an empty seat on an airplane. You've got this lawyer, he's not doing anything. So bringing any money in is better than nothing. In the short run, that's certainly true. But in the long run, that's prescription for disaster. On those clients, the ones who are just shopping, don't bid. There's a second group talking about people who you probably have a pre-existing relationship with. You know them. They know you. You trust each other. They're not out to necessarily get the absolute rock bottom price that they can get in today's marketplace. They're out to get the best price that they can from you. Those are the people that you want to be doing fixed price deals with. So I agree that whole opportunity cost could lead into this next question. The opportunity cost of working on business at such a low fee that you're likely not going to meet your minimum profit requirements. So why not use that time to go out and further your relationship or further your business with current clients? And then of course, look for new clients. And number 10 on your list of things that one would look to do to be successful at business development, number 10 is don't stop. And I think this is such a solid piece of advice. It's something that's been shared by different guests. In your comment about that, you talk about two major well-known firms that talk about the 110-3 formula and the 248 rule. I liked both. If you could elaborate on both of those for our listeners and then any other guidance that you might share with your clients that could be helpful. Yeah, the key concept here is that selling is a numbers game. There's a guy named Mike Bosworth who wrote a book called Solution Selling. And I took a quote out of that book and put it up on my bulletin board so I could look at it every day when I got discouraged. What he said was that sales always has been and always will be a numbers game, no matter how good you become. So how many calls do you need to make? Well, new life insurance agents, selling life insurance and and selling legal services are two different things. But it's interesting, nevertheless, new life insurance agents are often taught what's called the 110-3 formula, as you mentioned. That states that you need to approach 100 people to get 10 appointments to get three customers. The number is going to be different from lawyers, but that notion you're going to have to kiss a lot of frogs to find your prince is absolutely true. Probably a model that is closer to the legal profession is the one used at McKinsey and Company. And that's what you refer to as the 248 rule that consultants should be constantly working on two assignments four proposals and eight new prospects. And that's the way they keep their pipeline full. So this is not something that goes away when you get good at it. And one of the biggest mistakes, they do this and they have some success and then they get really, really busy. And they say, well, now I'm too busy to sell. That's fine now, but what happens when that ends? So you've really got to find something that works for you and then just keep doing it and keep doing it. I work with consultants in the other business that I'm involved in. And I hear often from these consultants, oh, I'm getting to the end of my project. Now I have to go out and find a new one. And of course, my feedback is always, you should have been looking for a new one before you were getting to the end of your assignment. Great information, Jeff. Really 
informative interview. Any last points you'd like to make before we say goodbye? If there's one piece of advice for lawyers right now, be defensive. Focus on your current clients. You think they're happy and they're not. So you've got to defend what you have before you worry about finding more. Great advice. Jim, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. Thank you so much for inviting me, Nicole. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. Be sure to visit www.leftfoot.net to access show notes, sign up for our weekday series, and embrace what it means to lead with the left foot. Thank you.